Matthew Sapruder is the author of four collections of poetry. His poetry, essays, and translations have appeared in The New Yorker, The Paris Review, Tin House, and The Believer. An associate professor in the St. Mary's College of California MFA program and English department, he is also editor-at-large at Wave Books and from 2016 to 2017 was the editor of the poetry page of the New York Times magazine. He lives in Oakland, California with his wife and son and that's where we are right now to talk about his latest book, Why Poetry, published by Echo Press. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thanks Nigel, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for coming out to hang out in Oakland. We've already had a little walk around the city, it was nice. We have on a very important mission. <laughs> we did go on an important mission. We, we, we were in search of essential provisions. I caught the, the, uh, the last half of a reading by a friend of yours yesterday, Steve Almond, mm -hmm. whose latest book is entitled Bad Stories, What the Hell Just Happened to Our Country? And I'm going to quote from that. Joseph Conrad, so famous for peering into our heart of darkness, never lost his great faith in the act of storytelling and the pursuit of art more broadly. Scientists and thinkers, he observed, make their appeal to those qualities that fit us best for the hazardous enterprise of living. The artist, by contrast, speaks to our capacity for delight and wonder to the sense of mystery surrounding our lives, to our sense of pity and beauty and pain, to the latent feeling of fellowship with all creation, and to the subtle but invincible conviction of solidarity in dreams, in joy, in sorrow, in inspirations, in illusions, which binds men to each other, which binds together all humanity, the dead to the living, the living to the unborn. That seems to me a pretty good explanation of why poetry. Hmm. Why do you think why poetry? I, think it was, I thought he was talking about storytelling. Well, he's talking about uh, our sense of mystery surrounding our lives. He's mm -hmm. talking about a sense of pity and beauty and pain mm -hmm. and the latent feeling of fellowship. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and, I, and I think that you make that point quite stridently yeah. in your book about the importance of connecting to other people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I mean, to me, that's what art, all art is about. Um, I mean, it's a lot about connection, but it's also about just opening up the possibilities of living and, and, and the borders or the, or the, or kind of the normal ways that we move through the world and experience it. And, um, I feel like that quote so beautifully kind of captures that other that other realm or the or the or the the way that life can feel like it's expanding beyond the ordinary, you know, and become much more significant. And yeah, I think all forms of art are looking for that, but they just do it in different ways, which is great. <laughs> but poetry has its own ways. And what are those ways? Mm. Well. They're obviously not the ways of music and not the ways of visual art because they use it uses words and I try in the book to make some distinctions between what I think other forms of other uses of language are doing and poetry in particular. Um, it's it's a 
kind of an elusive thing to try to capture, but I, but I try to do it both by explaining it and then by using a lot of examples. And I think there's several things that poetry uh, does that other forms of writing don't primarily set themselves to doing. I mean, they might do it along the way, but I think the main thing is just with poetry, it has to do with when you're a poet, you're, the thing you're interested in is something other than the thing you're usually interested in when you're using language. And what, and what starts to happen when you get interested in something else besides that thing is, you know, then, what start, then you start to have poetry. And that's why there's just so many different kinds of poetry, too. You know, it's like you can't say, you know, that's poetry and that isn't poetry because it's not about, you know, the surface kind of, uh, you know, manifestations necessarily. It's about some kind of deeper motivation in my mind. So with the other kind of uh, writing, you're trying to make a point. You're trying to express an opinion. You're trying to argue a case. Uh, you're trying to explain something, describe something. What, what's different about poetry then? Yeah, the thing is, is that, of course, you and I could very easily come up with examples of poems that do all those things you just said. Yeah. That explain, describe, argue, advocate, you know, whatever the other things, you know, you know prove. But I think, ultimately, poems are interested in exploring the material of language itself. And so, along the way they might get interested in telling a story or explaining something or making an argument for something. But at some point, they're always willing to abandon that purpose in the, in the pleasure and the interest of the material itself. It's, it's in the same way, I mean, to use an example, you know, if you're a painter, you might be painting a picture of a face or a landscape. But at some point you're going to get interested in what the paint can do and you're not and you're going to choose to follow that as opposed to fidelity you're not making you're not a real estate agent trying to sell a house you're not taking <laughs> a photograph you're not taking a photograph you're 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 ultimately interested in paint and if 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 the thing that lets you get interested in paint is representational work then great but for some people it's abstraction yeah you know, and so, you know, that's, I would draw, you know, a connection or an analogy between that and, and writing. Um, and many, many, many um, poets are sort of representational in their approach. Their, you know, work is narrative or explanatory or even, you know, didactic or polemical or whatever. But ultimately, I mean, you got to ask yourself why are they making poems and not writing essays? Right. You know, or, or, or writing political speeches or writing editorials for the newspaper or sermons. Okay. Because they're interested in something else. It's an impulse. You know, and I think poets they indulge themselves in that impulse when they when they feel like it. That impulse to explore the relationship between language and what it represents. Yeah, to trouble it, to turn it around, to find the contradictions, to not be consistent. To you know, that's why I mean when you're reading a poem and and somebody says, Oh, they, they want to criticize the poem more because it's like it doesn't, it's not, for instance, it's like not consistent or contradicts itself or, or it doesn't follow through on some argument or whatever. I think that's just an absurd way, reason to critique a, a poem. It, it might be a very good reason to critique an essay. You right. know, I mean, there's that famous principle called Chekhov's gun, which you're probably familiar with. I mean, many people are familiar with this idea. Yeah. I often, you know, if I'm like trying to explain to my students or something, I, I'll say, 
you know, I explained this principle on it, which is, you know, this idea that if there's a gun, I think it's if there's a gun that says on the wall in the yeah. first act, it has to go off by the end of the play, right? That's basically it. Yeah. Um, and for poets, that's not true. They don't, if there's a gun on the wall at the beginning of a poem, it does not, it never has to be referred to again. It's not a failure, it's not an artistic failure, no. it's not an aesthetic failure if that happens. Yeah, it's not something that you uh, are expecting. You don't, you know, you don't read a poet or a poem to sort of expect the logical outcome. Yeah, I mean, it's about surprise a lot of the time. I mean, it's about, you know, like, I mean, in the book I write about, you know, I write about what I think is, you know, one of the great poems, you know, Odonna uh, and I write about, I write about that and how the end of the poem, you know, is, is, Beauty is truth, truth, beauty, that is all you need to know on earth, that is all you know on earth and all you need to know. And I write about how every time I read that, it seems true to me in the moment of reading it. But then, of course, if you step back from it, just strictly speaking, I mean, that's kind of an absurd statement. That's not all ye need to know on earth. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. You, ye need to know a lot of other things. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> practical know, things. Yeah. yeah, a lot yeah. of other things. I mean, it's not just like as a kind of like life principle, it's not really. Yeah. Great guidance, <laughs> but it's but it's but it's as in the moment of reading the the fact that the poem makes that true in that moment is so such a miracle each time. It's such a blessing to have that experience, yeah. you know, to get to have that. And if you were worried about if you were writing philosophy, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't get to have that moment. You get to have something else, but you wouldn't get to have that feeling or that pleasure. So, Does that um, make sense what I'm saying? I'm yeah, saying. yeah. I, I I'm making a genre argument, basically. Right. You know, and it's old-fashioned to make a genre argument. People don't, you know, genres are very unfashionable right now. You know, so crossing no. genres, blending genres, people are suspicious about the idea of genre, which I think is good. I think it's good for people to be suspicious about it. But I think genre is useful when you're trying to sort of clarify certain things that are confusing. And, and definitely the purpose of poetry is something that's confusing for people. So it can help to think at least provisionally about genre. Yeah. I mean, it helps you think clearly about why poetry. Yeah. yeah. Why anything. I mean, it's not really what genre is. It's a, it's why, what, you know, what's, what's a story, what's a play, what's a, what's an essay, what's a, what's a sermon, what's an editorial, what's a, you know, memo to your boss. You know, you have, you have to have some sense of purpose. That's what it's purpose and audience. That's what, but you're kind of the same thing. You know, that's what like determines those things. You know? So poetry is what's lost in translation. Then, would you agree with that? The no, I think that's one of those. I, I don't agree with that. I think that I love that. I love that because it's so beautiful. But it's. I think it's. I found it to not be true. Okay, explain that. <laughs> because I love. Tra- I've, tra- I've translated and I and I read translations and I love translations and I find so much poetry in the translation. Well, what about though the translation between what you're seeing out there and experiencing and what you're putting down in language? No, I think it's the opposite. I think poetry is what poetry's in the poem. It's not it's not what's lost. It's what's it's what's gained. I think it's exactly wrong. I mean, I understand why that's said. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's 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 an interesting idea, but I think it's absolutely wrong because I think that in fact poetry is it's something that is added, not lost. It's it it doesn't exist until the poem is made. Right. I mean, there's no poetry without the poem. Yeah. So, so, I mean, whether it's a translation, literally a translation, I know you meant it more kind of like ex- in terms of experience or something. In, in terms of the, the limitations of what language... In my experience, there's no poetry without poems. You know, and, and, and so I don't know how it works. And each time I personally do it and each time I find it, it's a mystery to me. But I find 
poetry again and again in poems. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange because they're just words. They're just little scribbles. How is that possible? Like, how is it possible all that feeling mm-hmm. and all those thoughts and ideas can exist in these little tiny, like, scraps of whatever, like, little chicken scratchings in the wind, kind of like, how's, like, yeah. how's that work? You know, but, but it works. It is, a, it is kind of miraculous. Oh, it's a total miracle. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I'm not one of those people that goes around evangelizing or, like, you know, sighing and ooing and eyeing over every single poem I run into, but, no, you know, over the years, I've come across a pretty, <laughs> pretty good pile of poems that I've read that are, I think, in some ways, the highest examples of human achievement, you know, in some ways. Because of the way they made you feel? Yeah, feel, think, um, what they've opened up for me, possibilities of, you know, just thinking and experience and just the whole, I mean, it's almost like each of these poets I'm thinking about, you know, if I'm thinking about Keats or I'm thinking about, obviously, Shakespeare, or I'm thinking about, you know, someone like, even more contemporary poets, like somebody like, you know, James Tate, who was my teacher at UMass Amherst, or someone like Amiri Baraka or Audre Lorde, or, uh, or even, you know, I think about like Tufu or Li Po from the 9th century Tang Dynasty poets, or, uh, you know, all the Eastern Central European poets I love so much, or whoever, you know, all of them, and I could we just go on and on. Right. Each one of them is almost like a little world. You know, they had their, their minds are these worlds. And, and once I read them, I think it's, an, it's like a whole way of seeing the world and understanding the world that's different from mine, but yet which I can get involved in opens up. And it's just so, it never gets old for me to read, you know. I mean, I love the haiku poets, you know, like Busan is a favorite of mine. I just read him and I think, God, like what, how did he think that way? <laughs> it's amazing to me. It's amazing. So it's like you're able to live another life then. Yeah, right. And that's basically, you've got your own life, but just think of it. You're here on Earth for X amount of time, and this gives you a way to experience another life. Yeah, and I mean, you can say that about stories, too. I yeah. and, and, you know, it's yeah. not just only poetry, but, no. it's, but in, in poetry, it's different because it's like, you know, and I love fiction, and I mean, I read stories and novels and essays. I mean, I read a lot of prose, you know, it's not, I'm a big lover of prose, but, but I do think that, um, there's something about the kind of immediacy of the mind itself that opens up to you, to, to a reader in poetry. You know, just the, just the kind of almost like the pure workings of the mind that can open up when you're reading a poem. And it's like, it's so, if you find the right poem or the right poet, it's just... What do you mean by that? It works, I know you've mentioned in your book about that the way a poem sort of moves through a, through a way of thinking or trying to record something. It's like being purely haunted. I mean, when you read when you read a poet that you like or love, let's say love, you know, Mm -hmm. just like, but you're just like this. Whoa, it's beyond like oh, I admire this or whatever. You're just like I haven't found that many that I feel the way you feel. Well, there might not be that many. Like you feel that way about a ton of poets. Not not a ton. I mean, I feel that way about more than a handful, but I don't feel that way about most poets. But I mean, and I feel that way about some and. Other people feel that way, but I mean, you know, for instance, like I know there's people who like really, really adore Yeats, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like for them, Yeats, you know, they, and I, 
really like Yeats a lot, and I especially like some of his very early poems and some of his very late poems. You know, the ones that everybody likes. I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, you know. Too. I mean, everybody likes those poems. And you have to be an idiot not to like, you know. Mm. Um, but but I don't have that sense of like immense connection with his mind personally it's just like a personal thing mm -hmm. and okay. so so you know it's not everybody you know everybody has to have their own poets so i'm not going to sit and argue if somebody thinks, says to me oh you know for me the poet is like you know whatever i mean i don't know i think of an example like seamus haney mm -hmm. oh seamus haney seamus haney i mean i'm not going to personally that's not the poet for me but i'm not going to argue with somebody about it because it's mm -hmm. in a way it's just a well you can't argue with someone about that no, no. I mean, you think, oh, that's he's a great poet and he's amazing. And, and, and you know, it's funny. I was when Haney after Haney died, I was asked to write a thing for some reason. Uh, Poetry Ireland, which is this magazine, very fine magazine from Ireland. I do not know why, but they asked me to write something about Haney. And I'm not a big Haney fan. I mean, I dislike him, but I'm just not. And and I thought, oh, you know, shit. All right. <laughs> and so I looked through, I looked through, I looked through, and finally I found this poem. It's called Oysters. I really read it a bunch of times because so I was going to write about it. And I thought, this is a really great poem. I could totally see why people love Haney. I got it. But just for me, he's not, he's not, he's not my people. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my own What's people. your people then? And, and we don't have to go through a whole list right. here. But what's the criteria for being your people? It's what I'm saying. It's just this kind of spiritual connection I mean that you feel related to them like okay. you're, they're your brothers almost or right. sisters yeah. and I know that sounds a little sentimental and stupid but like for me it happened the time that it really happened I would say like with a group of poets the most um, kind of powerfully was when I started reading poets from Central and Eastern Europe from the early and mid you know 20th centuries so I mean, we could go down the list of you know Milos Zbigniew Herbert's you know, Wabazimborska, um, you know, Vasco Popa, Thomas Shalaman, you know. You studied movie. Russian, right? I did, I did, I studied yeah. Russian. But that wasn't how I knew um, that work. It was, I, I, I knew it, I got to know it sort of because it was starting to be read a lot when I was first starting to write poetry. You know, in the, in the early, mid-90s, a lot of that work was being translated and it was very, and my friends who knew more about poetry were handing me these books. And for I fell in love with that. Um, and and the re a big reason I think I fell in love with it was because their work is very clear. It was different from a lot of the work that was being written or, or talked about a lot in American poetry in the 90s. It was very direct. Yeah, and you make a point about that. You talk about the fact that, uh, and, I'll, and I'll dig it up here in a minute, but it's about the fact that clarity... Can you tell me about clarity specifically? What it does, what, why you are so high on clarity. Yeah, well, for me, clarity is not about an ease of understanding or, or, or kind of... I think sometimes people, what people mean by clarity is they mean you should be able to understand everything about something more or less immediately. And that is not what I mean by that. What I mean by it is a kind of openness on the part of the reader. A way a writer, I'm sorry, a way of like that yeah. that that a, a, a sense that nothing is being deliberately kept away. It's yeah, it's an honest attempt to say something to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we all feel that in the writing that we love. You know, I don't know. It's it's you know all these words and phrases. They're 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 hard because they're they're abstract. But I I think you know 
I just think that people think that poets deliberately hide what they mean, and it's just so stupid. Like, poets don't do that. I mean, well, I mean some do. Okay, like, uh, I don't. I don't. I, not in my experience. I've met a lot of poets, and I never, I never met any good ones that do that. Okay. I like when I if I read I don't think I've ever been more angry when I sense that that bond or that that agreement between the reader and the writer has been violated. Like if and I, it's only a sense. You're very sensitive. Well, like maybe it. I am. It's good. No, it's great. Maybe I, I, I am. I mean, that's praise. But you, know, you but take it seriously. It's like, important. Well, and it it gets me really angry. Yeah. If I think I'm being bullshitted here. Yeah, and uh, it's not that I want to find information, or I don't want it to be logical, and I don't necessarily want a message. Yeah, I want if, but if I if there is a message, that's great, and if it's one that I think is profound, yeah, that's great. But I have to if it's not that, and if I think I'm being bullshitted, and it's not beautiful, then I think it's crap. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's and that's fair enough. I mean, you know. You know, obviously we could say, I mean, it's tough because, because. How do you determine what the, what. Look, I mean, everybody, I I think it's totally great to have a super emotional reaction to a piece of writing and say, I think this is ugly, (laughs) you know, and that's like, and, and you can both have that feeling very strongly in yourself and also sort of like recognize in some kind of like intellectual level that it's subjective and that you could somebody else might not feel that way of course but you can't help feeling that way that yeah. anger you know yeah, but case. I think the anger yeah. is more a violation of an agreement that there's and that's what you're getting at yeah. the importance of, of of that agreement or that well, what's the word for it that uh, a genuine honest attempt on the part of the author which is what you're saying clarity is about yeah, I mean, I would say also that, that you know, the, what do I want to say? The, I mean, the, the, the willingness to explore things that are outside the bounds of propriety is something that I really appreciate. So sometimes people will push, you know, they'll play, they'll try, and maybe it doesn't work out, you know, like, like. You know, like, I'm not, like, not everything, I mean, we're artists, you know, poets yeah, are artists, yeah. and not everything they do is going to work out, you know, right. not everything is going to be a... And how do you determine success. if it's legitimate? Like, well, I think... Can, how do you determine that they're good faith? Well, I you don't know. You just, you just, you don't know. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about that, because sometimes people don't even know themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been a poet now for, you know, it always seems funny to me when I say that I'm a poet. I feel... Yeah, I've been doing this, whatever, for now, 20, 20 plus years. And I've always done it with good faith. But that doesn't mean that I have always been truly honest with the reader. Because, like, I don't, I don't, sometimes you don't know you're not being honest. You're trying, but, you, but you're not ready yet. Or you, or you, or you're trying something, and and I mean that's the difference between work that is going to last and work that isn't. And you don't, when you're making it, you don't always know. You're just doing the best you can, and and not everything. I mean, me, I'm pretty careful about what I publish. So I think ultimately the work that I've published, I stand very strongly behind, and I don't look at it now, back at it now, and think that there's anything that I always think, oh, that was the best I could have possibly done, and I'm proud of what yeah. I did. But there's a lot of other work 
that didn't make it into the books and didn't get published that was made with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> that's know? all you can ask as a, as a reader is the best of intentions. I always, I, and, and the poets I know is how but but I mean, I will say, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've seen people make mistakes and just publish things. Well, I don't even say, know why we're talking about this. but like, You say that some poets just want to sound smart. Yeah, well, I'm more talking about that. I think in that part of the book, I'm sort of more talking about students mm-hmm. and like sort of trying to help them because I think that there's like, it's, it's sort of my experience has been that, you know, that like younger artists in general, you know, they're very unsure of themselves, however they present. I mean, you know, a millimeter below the surface, I oh, use the metric system there. I'm like... Already pandering to you, the below the surface, they're um, they're uh, you know they're very unsure of themselves and trying to figure. It. And I think that it's natural for the, for people sometimes to try to art, artificially generate kind of like a mystery or, or or artificially generate some kind of sense of that strangeness that mm-hmm. isn't authentically there. And the way that they artificially do it sometimes is by deliberately hiding what they mean or speaking in a complicated way or an overly ornate way or an overly, you know, tangled up way. And my job as a teacher is to try to untangle that and, and reassure them in a way that their minds, if they, if they open their minds, their minds are much stranger than they believe that they are. And that just being open about the strangeness of your mind is the first step to being a poet, you know, or any kind of artist, actually. And that strangeness and mystery is something you strive for, I guess. I think so. I mean, don't you think? I mean, we don't read for the ordinary. I mean, we mm-hmm. have the ordinary. We're surrounded by the ordinary. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, and I find in so much contemporary art immense ordinariness and, yeah. and boredom and tedium. And I... I, I well, at least you know, 95% of it is that way. At least. You know, and I, again, I mean, I think people are trying to find it. You know, and there's a lot going on right now. People, are, artists are very, artists are banged up right now, you know, by the world, by, by, by social media, by politics, by, by, you know, the demands of economics on them. I mean, there's a lot of pressures on artists. Maybe there always have been, but it seems to me now there's a lot. And I see it in people's work. You know, I see people trying to push back against that and deal with that and deal with these pressures and deal with their fears and anxieties about the world and, and anger and upset and all this stuff. And so I think that can sometimes overwhelm, it can often overwhelm the poems. You know, so what you get are kind of like almost like records of, of the traumas of our time. But you don't get poems that push back again, enough against those things. You know, that takes a kind of certain kind of Ability, I guess, or strength, or something. And sometimes people just don't have that. Push back to get where? Push back to get to a freedom of mind and a freedom of imagination and freedom of language. I mean, just for example, I'll just take it just again to try to be concrete for a second. There's a new book, Terence Hayes, who's a who's a who's a, who's a um, terrific poet, um, friend, peer of mine, friend of mine, has these uh, poems. He's he has a new book that's coming out called American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. They're called, it's just coming out. And they're all, the poems have the same title, and they're all sonnets. They're not, they don't rhyme, but they're all, you know, with 14 lines. And they, they, and they are suffused with racial, Terrence is African-American. They're suffused with racial, social, political anger, all those, all those forces. Yet they 
push against them and they, they, the language is turned and torqued and it's liberated and, 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 and it plays with those things and it's such a master performance. You know, and that's what I mean by art. This is, this is what, these are poems. These are real poems. And they're not, it's not because they, they don't avoid any of those things. But so they, it includes the anger or it pushes yeah, against oh, the Yeah, oh no, anger? it includes, the anger yeah. is there and then it's pushed back against. There's humor, there's, there's pleasure, there's, there's, there's the intellect, there's, there's uh, giving in, there's despair, there's all the things that you find in great art, you know, right. but they, and they oscillate. Kind of yeah, and, and yeah. often sometimes from line to line. You know, it's like, and so it's, it's, it's a very, um, you know, kind of, this is what I mean about a person who has the mental and aesthetic strength to deal with these forces. You know, it takes, it takes a real, it takes a strong artist mm -hmm. to deal with this, yeah. with this, with this time we're in right now. This yeah, is no it's, joke it's right It's an now. extreme time. Yeah, and there's a lot of artists, I think, who are getting completely overwhelmed. And so they're writing these poems that are like, like I said, like almost more like records of the trauma. And, and I don't, maybe that's, maybe that's a worthy use of literature. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not, but yeah. I'm saying for me, you know, I, 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 testimony is not no. in of itself, you know. You want to understand it and you want to cope with it. Is that what this is helping you do? I mean, I don't know if it helps me cope exactly because I don't know if we should be able to cope with it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we shouldn't be able to cope with this time we're in now. Maybe we should feel more upset and more sorrow, you know, less numb. I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not sure, but I, but I don't feel it takes great art to, to open up those feelings for us. And, okay. and so I'm just using Terrence's book as an example, but there are other examples of American poets who are very powerfully doing this kind of work. And then there are other people who are, whose work isn't primarily about political or social or ecological matters, which I think is also quite worthwhile. Can you describe Keats's formulation of negative capability? And why do you like it? <laughs> well, I think it has to do with everything we've, been, we've just been talking about. I mean, he, you know, it's, it's a well-known formulation. Sometimes I joke that um, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to mention it like every time I talk about it. No, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's a, um, you know, it's this letter that he wrote his brothers in which he's, he wrote these many, many, many beautiful letters in, in which he sort of along the way of talking about his life, he will start to kind of wander into these aesthetic disquisitions. You know, so they have a very natural kind of like organic quality. He'll be, so he's talking about, he's basically trying to figure out like what makes a great artist, you know, and he's talking about different things and going to see a play and seeing a painting he really likes and all this stuff. And then and it's sort of, kind of towards the end of the letter, he says, he talks about Shakespeare, who was, who was his probably main readerly obsession, Shakespeare, you know, the plays particularly. And he, he, um, and he talks about how Shakespeare was the great thinker, great artist, because he was able to be in the middle of contradictions, you know, without, without an irritable reaching after fact or reason, he says. Um, and that ability to be in multiple forces multiple forces and somehow both manage them and let them be what they are and not make a lot of hierarchies or if you do make hierarchies to let those hierarchies continually shift i think that's what do you mean hierarchies oh hierarchies of like this this idea is more important than that idea or this is more right than that let's just for example let's say you know like 
uh, being nice to someone is better is more important than like you know expressing yourself or something you know like you know whatever that kind of thing like 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 those to me suddenly floating in this space where like those things are all shifting and their relations are continually shifting is exciting and destabilizing and that I think for him is the place of poetry and that's for me too so so when you're in school or or you're in the presence of a very like tight ass critic who's like you know, constantly like lecturing everybody about like what <laughs> you know what's important or like what the main point of this is or whatever. Blah, blah. That's yeah, yeah. that's why it feels so inimical and destructive towards the experience of poetry, at least for me, because I'm like, no, poetry is a living thing. You're, and you can well, it's an interaction with the reader's mind and the reader's experiences, right? And that's unique. Yeah, and you can, say, but also you can. There are lots of things you can say about a poem. You can say you can look at a poem together with another person. I mean, you and I can sit. And maybe we should. You can, you can, we can sit with a poem. We can say, okay, what does this say? What's, what's it say at the beginning? What's with next? Dictionary. What's next? With, with a dictionary. dictionary. Yeah. What is really? What's? Let's dig into what's really being said here. Let's get into it. I'm not talking about floating around in this, you know, kind of what William Empson calls this weak ambiguity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting more into the poem. Yeah. The more into a real poem you get, the more floaty things get, and and drifty. And exciting and dreamlike. It's like living in a dream. Can you define drifty? Dreamy, you know, like 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 shifty. Like it's not it's not you're not in a legal brief. But but then then nothing's wrong then, right? So if you're in a class, you're supposed to interpret a poem. Can you you can't say no to anything? You can't say anything's wrong. Yes, you can. For sure, you You can. You can say here's the definition of that word and what you're saying. If you're that saying, definition appears nowhere in your explanation. Well, I mean, I think, let's just pick a poem. Okay, like... Um, to autumn. To autumn. Well, if someone says it's about spring, that's wrong. It's not about spring, it's about autumn. <laughs> it's not only about autumn, it's to autumn. <laughs> it's like an okay. ode to autumn. Yeah, but maybe... If someone says, wait someone a minute, says, maybe someone spring says, oh, is autumn like that year. Maybe, but it's okay. That's interesting. But let's wait till we get to that point. Let's or or if, or if they say, you know, oh, I think this poem is about. I think this poem is about him and his girlfriend. You're like, it's not really about that. Okay. Actually, it's about something. I mean, it might be. You can say later that it reminds you of that, or makes you think of that, or you think that's. But what's actually on the page is is. I mean, the thing is, is that people get all so worked up about this. But when you actually sit down with a reader, with with a bunch of students in the class, or your friends, or your peers, and you actually look at a poem and you actually start reading it, it turns out it's very definitive what it says and what it doesn't say. Actually, okay. you know, in the abstract, this seems like a scary issue, but in but in reality, when you actually do it, it's actually not. Okay, so Tom Pullman, respected critic, uh-huh. and maybe a poet as well, he says that To Autumn is about this massacre that occurred at Peterloo, the workers that it were is. violently put down. He's, he's saying that that's what that poem's about. About? Yeah. He was reading the biography of the biography. Is this a contemporary critic? Or is this yeah, he's a contemporary uh, critic. Very well regarded. I mean, I think I might just like quibble with what he means by the word about. I mean, if he means that's what inspired or, or, or that's its... No, that's, no, no. That's what it's about. So all the people throughout history, through the past whatever, let's however many years, 200 plus years who have read, well, maybe not so many over 200 years, but it's 150 years who have read that poem 
and thought about it and been moved by it and, and, and carried it with them all over who didn't know anything about that, what they were just wrong. They like they they, they, they didn't know what that poem was really about. Yeah, they didn't know That's what it was about. That's stupid. That's not true. He might he might be right. I don't know what his argument is. It might be interesting, and he might have a lot to say, and he might have actually identified an inspiration for that poem. But to say that that's what it's about in some kind of way, as if that's the central thing it's about, is ludicrous. I mean, that's that's not true because because you know. So so what does he think about? What would he say about my own intimate relation to that poem? Just that I was I was reading into it all kinds of things that weren't there. You're doing the same thing he was. What do you mean? Well, you're taking your experience and, and relating to the words that Keats put on the page, and I suppose he's trying to justify his his interpretation of it. Well, listen, I haven't read what he has to say about it. No. I, I have a feeling that I would find it super interesting. <laughs> you know, like yes. I, mean, I probably would yes. really like it, and it would be it would, it would and it would probably and it probably would deepen my appreciation for the poem. Yeah. But I think, again, I mean, we, it's not really fair for us to talk about it without me having read no, the thing. No, but, no. but to say that I, th- I think what I probably, and I bet, I don't know this person, but I would say I bet that he would admit to the possibility of other experiences with this poem other than that one, ex- one limited way of reading it. I mean, I think, I mean. No, I he's a brilliant critic. I think a lot, I want, I want a lot of people. Where does he live? He's British. Uh, now I want to meet him. Excited. I love I love it when somebody has like a kind of completely idiosyncratic take on like a famous poem you know it's great it's like really exciting mm-hmm. um, I probably have I probably got a little worked up about that because like I have just such an intimate emotional connection to that poem yeah it's I like, got worked up about and, it too <laughs> but it's great I mean, it's like I actually think see I like it when I like it when I and other people get angry you know you were saying earlier you're like you know you get like you get mad about a poem or a poet or something like that. And I always find that like very heartening that people can care that much. <laughs> you know? well, like, so few I mean, people care about poetry anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Which is sad. A lot of people care about poetry. What do you mean by so few? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean the percentage of the population that cares about poetry. Maybe 5%. It's a lot of people. Five percent. I mean, that's like you know. I mean, I don't know. It's like. I mean, listen. I, you know, I wish it were more. I mean, I wish more. But I mean, I'm not. Gonna, well, then we wouldn't be in this uh, the mess that we're in. Yeah, that's true. If everybody read poetry, we wouldn't know. I I don't know if that's true. But but I mean, yeah. I don't really. I think, I think a lot of people like poetry. They just don't know what it is, and they don't. You know, I mean, I'm not some kind of traveling salesman for poetry or whatever. But like, what I do. Well, in a way, that's what my poetry is about. A little bit. Yeah. Well, because you kind of get drawn... I mean, I write about this in the introduction. You kind of get drawn into that role as a poet. Like, you sort of get pulled into being an explainer of it. In yeah, a way. And you can, there's lots of yeah. yeah, there's lots of different ways you can react to it. And I certainly respect when people are like, oh, I'm not going to, like... If it's your problem, just read the book. Like, I like listening to Alice's... You know, Alice Notley, the interview you did with her, which was great. Um, I was, I was... I love how she just has, like, zero patience for, like, trying to you know, like try to justify this activity or explain it or whatever. I think that's like completely legitimate 
way to think about it. You know, I'm totally and and I and I thought it was so funny what you said about I was totally dreading when you brought when you brought up my book. You know, it's like and I was like, oh man, she's gonna like she's gonna kill me. You know, and like I love Allison and she's amazing and like I love and her sons are I'm close, real good friends with both her sons. Um, but uh, I was like, oh man, she's totally gonna like nail me. And sure enough, she said this. I thought what she said was so funny. She, I think she said what she said. She's like, he's trying really hard, <laughs> really hard which yeah. is like which is like really true. I mean, she's like, I was like, oh man, you're right. I am trying really hard. But uh, you know, she, no, she's great. She's the best. Yeah. But like, so her reaction is like, screw it. You know, like it's, yeah. it's all there. Well, like, you're like, like I'm not gonna sit here and like you know <laughs> tell you why. Like you know, and so I, and I really appreciate that as a reaction. But like for me, I just thought, oh. What would it be like to go the other direction and really take every objection seriously, every objection to poetry, every complaint, every frustration with it, just say, like, what would it be like to just say, okay, like, let me try to explain this to you. Let me try to show you, you know? And, and you know, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's, that was the impulse of writing the book, and I mm-hmm. did not know how, what, how that was going to work out. Maybe there would be no book there. I thought it worked out pretty yeah. damn well. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, it was fun to write. It would turn out to be fun to do it, too. Yeah. Which, if it hadn't been... I mean, it was brutal and hard and a lot of frustration. And my wife, you know, had to put up with me complaining pretty much for five years straight. But, uh, but, that, <laughs> but, that but oh, it took a long time to write yeah. this book. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was completely brutal. I mean, it was, it was a brutal process, but... Usefulness, the usefulness of poetry has less to do with delivering a message and more to do with re-enlivening, reactivating language, drawing us into a different form of attention and awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's ideas sort of, there's not what a lot. What is that different form of attention? Well, there's not a lot of literary theory in this book, <clears throat> but there is. there are a few times I mention literary critics and the, the main person I mentioned is Viktor Shklovsky who's this you know early 20th century Russian critic who came up with this concept of defamiliarization and that is what his idea is is that art in general is about strangifying experience kind of the shock of the new yeah well and not just well I wouldn't say the new it's like it's like um, you know he says it habitualization you know getting used to things is sort of how we move through the world, you know, and he has a great quote, I think, quote in the book, which says, uh, habitualization destroys, you know, one's, one's love of one's wife and one's fear of war, you know, whatever. And so, like, the role of we art is to wake us up. We're yeah, we're sleepwalking. We have yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, think about all the different things that are happening exactly. just to function. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that, that re-enlivening of language, that waking, it, uh, that waking ourselves up again to its true strangeness is to a great extent, the function of poetry. And again, it relates to what we were talking about earlier. We were saying, oh, you know, what happens when you free yourselves from, free yourself as a poet from other obligations, like making a point or being consistent or telling a story or something? Well, then you get to kind of do this re-enlivening work, yeah. this strangifying work. Yeah. Because you can, and it's just like a very practical thing. Like as a writer, you're kind of like tapping away or scribbling away or whatever, and you have a choice. You know, you like, am I going to, follow this character am I going to do character development am I going to do description or am I going to explore this idea am I going to do justice to this this thought and write a whole, or am I going to do something am I going to start to play with the with the material of language itself and I think for poets it, it can often become I'm making this weird kind of like finger finger rubby gesture right now but like it can become an almost kind of like physical textural thing with language 
you know, where you're like, what can I do with this word? How can I, how can I make it last and reverberate and like, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. feel. Or add more meaning to it. Add, and, or I reveal guess. its meaning. Right. Reveal, maybe even add. Yeah, maybe yeah. even add. Maybe that, that can be, I mean, that's big magic to add, yeah. to yeah. add meaning. Well, possible. look at Shakespeare, how many words well, he invented. He was a great magi magician. He invented For so sure. many words. Shakespeare was, was, that's right. He was, he, I mean, he was like the, the wizard. Yeah. He could make new words. Yeah. <laughs> most know. poets, most poets, it's all they can do to like, to use them. Well, I yeah. suppose you can make a new word. Why not? I mean, you can you make understand one, what it means, but, but it's one thing it's, to... In context, they might, but... Sure, but it's but Shakespeare could do it in a way that made it seem like you don't even notice he's doing it. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I just read The Tempest um, again, and, uh, you know, he's making up stuff left and right in there. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's you know, and you're just like, man, this guy was not the same species as I am. I mean, it's just like he, his ability to write is just different. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he's, you know, there's people that come along. I mean, there's Mozart, you know, there's people who come along who are just like, they're like aliens, you know, they don't, they're not, they're not, they're not like us. No. You know? So they have some other kind of thing going on. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he made up words. Yeah. Many. The desire to write anything begins out of a basic human desire to express oneself, to be heard. We kind of touched on that. Well, do you I think th that's true? Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that... I do think. I mean, I, I think it has to do with people needing and wanting some kind of attention. And that part of that is telling your story. I was sort of thinking, I think that's true, but I was sort of almost thinking more in like kind of a primal way. It's like you're, you're alone yeah. in, the, in the world. You're alone in the darkness. You, you start to sing, you make noise. Because you feel afraid, you need to hear yeah. yourself. Yeah. That silence is very is very scary, and so you start to talk, and, and and the talking both, you know, reminds you that you're there, and then also can can connect you with the other people. You call out across the yeah. across the, the cave or whatever to the other people, and like suddenly there's like a thing going on. And then you're like, are you not alone? Yeah, you I don't mean, you don't just want to be heard. You want to be answered, too. Yeah, I think, I think, yes. I think that if you're not a total narcissist, you want to be answered. You don't mm -hmm. just want to be heard. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, and I think that's the mark of, you know, it's funny, writing poems is like, it can seem on one hand like a monologue, because it's obviously, it's like coming from one person. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so, what I feel in, in all poems that are great is the, immense desire for conversation and for connection you know an, an openness like like a like a like a continual opening to the to the desire for readerly consciousness you know like like that's what i feel when i'm reading the poem i feel a constant invitation to think along with the person yeah, and, yeah. Be, and be in dialogue with them yeah yeah and that's that to me is the mark also of you know, that may be another difference between what I think of being really good poems and poems that aren't as good as the poems that aren't as good feel, can feel really hermetic and like yeah. they're, not, they're not open. Pushing the reader away. It's well, like... they're just there to be admired. They're there that I feel like, and I see this sometimes in my, my students where I'm like, you know, you wrote this poem and you see what well, you seem to want, you seem to want us to stand outside and, and, and admire it. Yeah. And maybe that is 
an artistic experience that some people like. Maybe they like to be outside of a work. Well, no, I like if I if I, there's a phrase that I think is just a killer phrase, and I and I admire. I can admire it, and that, that's why I read a lot of fiction. Is I if there's a phrase that mm. I can take out of there that I think, wow, yeah, huh. I, I can admire it. I read. Sure. I read fiction. I just love being told stories, and I just love to read stories you know, mm. and, and read about other people's lives and read and hear yeah. other people talk. You know, I'm mm. compelled by that. I mean, I read a lot of fiction, and but you know, it's like I just think about you know one of the probably one of the first poems I fell in love with was Proof Rock. You know, and, and begins. You know, let us go then, you and I. And obviously, you know, who is that? Who is that? You. Yeah, it's me. There is no other you. He's alone. He's, he's, he's lonely. He wants another person. And that other person is me. And I, you just fall into that poem. I mean, not everybody does, but I did. Mm. You know, let us go then, you and I. Where evening spreads against the side. You know, like a patient, he thrives upon a table. You're just like, I'm with this weird clerk. This, this pathetic, virginal, you know, balding sad <laughs> clerk <laughs> yeah wears his trousers rolled you know like I mean but he's you know he's a beautiful man he's a beautiful sad man you know? it's for some reason my like t- you know 20 year old self really identified with that yeah. it seems strange when you think about it now but like well it's it's cheap this is cheapening the point but uh, I've read that you know if you're writing a, a headline on a, on a website you use the word yeah. you Sure. And so they've clued into the fact that it's a very powerful word. You want to read about you. You want you want to know how how this this piece of writing is going to affect my life. Well, the poet who I associate most with that behavior, who is an extremely important poet for me and my peers, and I would say across a lot of aesthetics in America, and who I don't think is nearly as important in, let's say, Canada or, or England or Europe is Frank O'Hara. Yeah. And I think that O'Hara's influence is immense and his talent was immense. I think mm-hmm. that sometimes I think that you can explain a lot about the difference between Canadian and American poetry or British and American poetry by thinking about O'Hara. Because... The particularities of his... He died went, at 40, right? He yeah. got hit by a car. Was it a car? Dune buggy. He was on Fire Island, in, 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 and it was at night, and the, and the vehicle he was riding in broke down, and, he, and they, everybody got out, so they fixed the vehicle, and a dune buggy came by and, and, and killed him. He was 40. Uh, so young. I mean, I remember when I first read about that, it didn't seem that young, but of course now it's like his baby, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a complete uh, disaster. I mean, he was a, you know, and his friends were, of course, you know, his friends, John Ashbery and Kenneth Koch and James Schuyler, and he worked at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. I mean, he was a very, he's all friends with all kinds of painters and artists and filmmakers, and he was just a brilliant, you know, person. Um, but anyway, but his, his attitude about the poem that it was like almost like kind of like a letter to another person, or it was like a conversation, or it took place in a social environment. I think is so influential for American poets in all kinds of different ways. Um, and he was a very gifted poet. He's known for a certain kind of like chatty, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this what people call I do this, I do that poems. You know, like I was here and I ran, then I buy the cigarettes here and I buy that there and I go. Like, you know, like a Facebook post. <laughs> yeah, proto, proto Facebook. But, 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 uh, but, you know, he's sort of the, the most anthologized poems would be like The Day Lady Died or whatever, which is the one where he's walking around New York or whatever and then he sees the New York Post headline about, um, you know, Lady Day dying and, and, and um, you know, Billy Holiday. But he also wrote these long odes. You know, very lyric, highly surrealistic. You know, I mean, his his facility with language and the image is just was was extraordinary, and he was able to do lots of different sorts of things. And he was a pretty radical artist, and um, and he he was immensely talented, immensely talented. I mean, I think of all the New York school poets. You know, I mean, of course, I'm a big Ashbery fan. My favorite might be James Schuyler. But, you know, I think O'Hara was the greatest of them, in my opinion. Uh, but he died, you know, he didn't have a chance to write as much as Asbury did. I mean, loved Asbury, but, like, you know, different sort of poet. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't think O'Hara's as read or thought about in Canada as, I mean, is he? I don't know. Uh, maybe not so much. I, I don't know. It's funny. I, I, uh, I mean, I knew of him, but I was just down in L.A. a few years ago, and we just went to a, a bookstore, and it was a there was a reading there that evening and it was, I don't know if it was in celebration of an anniversary or something. It's the, it was the 50th anniversary of Lunch, of the release of Lunch Palms. That's it. Which is, which was the book that he, that Ferlinghetti put out from the City Lights yeah. imprint. Yeah. Which was a little bit unusual because, because, you know, ordinarily Ferlinghetti was sort of, they, well, actually, it's not true. I was going to say he was more focused on West Coast poets, but that's actually not true because the because he published Howell, of course, which yeah. Ginsburg, which is even though Ginsburg was on the West Coast, then he's you know he's from he's maybe but but yeah, Lunch Poems came out that and they they released this beautiful 50th anniversary edition. And we actually there was a whole bunch of it. Like like I just showed up and uh, yeah, and that's I a great reading to show up for. That's it a great reading. Well, Would you read something? Yes. What'd you read? Do you remember? You know what? I can't. Remember. That's cool. But that's was, that's great. You got yeah. we got roped in. Yeah. Did you yeah, like reading? I loved it, yeah. Yeah, in fact, my wife was up there reading a bit of French, too. I loved, oh. Just a very short little passage. It starts in French, the poem. Oh, and I it's like that a, poem. It's only, yeah. you know, like maybe two or three lines in yeah, French. Yeah, because your wife is French. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Anyway. No, and that's one of the great... I mean, I think everybody should carry that book around. I mean, that Lunch Poems. I mean, that book... Hmm. There's no book that changed me more than Lunch Poems, I don't think. I mean, I would say, you know... Yeah, no, that opened up everything for me. I'm just running through my uh, copious notes that sure. I've taken from uh, your Thank book. you for reading the book and having such great questions. I know. Oh, my pleasure. It really was. Uh, poems create space for the possibilities of language as material. And we've covered that. Allow language its inherited provisionality, uncertainty, slippages, space for physicality, the way it sounds, looks, feels in the mouth. Yeah, these are just sort of all different ways of saying yeah. Yeah. what happens when you liberate yourself from obligation. Now, this is, I've gotten a fair amount of pushback on this idea. People are like, well, are you saying that poems shouldn't be political or they shouldn't be socially responsible or they shouldn't mm-hmm. be yeah like are you saying this should just be about nothing and just about like the way language feels in the mouth or whatever well you've just of said course here, I'm not saying that. <laughs> undistracted by any other overriding purpose where contradictions and possibilities 
of the material of this meaning-making system are deliberately brought forth and celebrated, undistracted by any other overriding purpose. That's where you're getting to push back? Yeah, well, I mean, I think people think what I'm saying. I mean, it's hard because, you know, here's the reality is that is that when you write a book like this, yeah, this is such a complex subject and it's very, it takes time to explain things. Here, you need some more doodle. It takes time to explain things. Yeah. And so if you pull out, if one pulls out, like a, like a particular kind of I'm getting thing. all the foam again. You, yeah, no, I got I'm not, all the foam and you're getting all the liquid. That's what happens when you hang out with an American. Okay. They're very selfish. Now look, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna remedy the situation. Um, nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, and so so it can sound like what I'm saying is that poems shouldn't mean anything and shouldn't be committed to anything. But I don't believe that. What I mean is that. What I'm interested in is what happens when you free yourself, you know, and then what kinds of deeper commitments do you, do you find? Maybe to other people, maybe to ideas that can't be had immediately, that can only be had through a lot of thinking. <laughs> From know? the reader or the writer? The writer. Like yeah. I'm saying, if you, if, you, if you were to say to me now, like in conversation, I don't know, if you were to ask me about my marriage. Right. There are certain things that I would say about it, positive things, because I have a good marriage and I love my wife, but what's going on that's deeper? What happens if you go deeper? It's not all positive. No, I don't even yeah. mean that. I just mean, I mean, like, what, what would open up for me if I, if I went beyond the, the most initial truths, right. even if they're true? You know, and, and, and that's what interests me, that kind of liberation, that, that, that saying, like, Okay, I'm not going to use any of the ways of talking about this stuff that, that we always say. Oh, I love my wife. She's she's which is all true. You know, yeah. My wife is wonderful. She's yeah. she's so supportive. She's positive. All those things are true about my wife. She's amazing. Right. But like, what happens when you start to reject those phrases that have been handed down for forever, and like you start then talking about your, you know, dangerous things can happen. You can start to have dangerous. Um, scary mortal ideas about being a human body in the world and all stuff and those like you know and it's not it's not that it means I'm not saying that it means that I don't believe those things you don't not believe the truth of course I do I mean I love my yeah my job as a poet is not to talk about my marriage my job as a poet is to get as deep as I can into the basic mechanisms of human experience yeah. We're not talking about me anymore. We're talking about well, how humans love each other. And that's how. the only way you know is you, your own experience. Or the experiences of others that you've read. No, I don't agree with that. I think that language itself holds truths. Okay, let's not get mystical. What is language? Language is... You if we I, had a couple of spliffs here, we could get into this. <laughs> no, you and, I, you and I, listen, you and I are talking now, but the material we're using to exchange information, the, each word is the product of an almost infinite number of decisions about what things mean and what they don't that arrive to us. You know, so, yeah. so we're using the accumulated knowledge of the everyone. The accepted knowledge. Just, just the accumulated decision-making that's come yeah. before us. 
Right. That's how we know. That's how we. That's and so there's immense wisdom in language. There's immense historical wisdom in language. And this is not an idea that I personally came up with. No. I mean, this is like uh, Vico talks about this. Maybe many people talk about this. This is not. You know, I didn't. I didn't invent this idea. This is. But 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 it's 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 an interesting. It's an idea that I had, and then once I started researching it, I realized that many other people had had the same idea. You yeah, know, that that's neat. When it's and it's great when it happens, yeah. right? So, which almost is like a weird kind of echoing of what I'm talking about. Yeah. But like, but but so poets are archivists. They're 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 deep sea divers into this like weird material that we that we use and take for granted. You know, when we need to. But like, what happens when you start to open it up? I mean, amazing things can happen. And so, when I write my poems, I'm thinking, when I feel a word start to vibrate with energy, I'm like, okay, I need to spend a little more time with this word. What does it really mean? It's funny because Alice talked exactly about that vibration uh-huh. and the fact that we're made up of molecules. And we talked about if these molecules aren't communicating effectively, right, that, yeah. then that's illness. Illness. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're talking about? This vibration, or not? What I mean is just that it's just that as a poet, I'm sitting there and I'm writing along, da, 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 and it's nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Just there's nothing. It's like, and then suddenly it's almost like you're, I don't know. You ever see those old guys on the beach with like the. Um, with the metal yeah, the, detectors. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm like when I'm a poet. I just got I'm just like an old guy on the beach. Looking for words. With my pants pulled up too high, you know, like you know, and a lot of sunscreen. <laughs> hat. It's completely undignified. Blood. You know, like just 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 with that one of those things like in the sand, just like in the sun that's like beep, 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 beep. And I don't know where it's and then I'm like, okay. There's a sweet little English T V series called The Detectorists. You gotta watch it. Oh my it. god, really? It's, it's about charming. It's an, is it about that? It's about that. Oh it's my god, charming. It's Are you a, kidding me? A lot of people don't like it. This? Called the Detectorists. Correct. You know, I have a book called The Pajamist. Okay. So I'm like, really, like, you know, it's, this is my. Yes. These are my people. Yeah. The Detectorists. Oh my god, that's so good. Sorry, I love it already. No, no, no. I love it already. No, but so you know, so that's how I am. Like, I'm just, I'm just messing around. I'm just scribbling, yeah. and I'm just like. Or looking through the dictionary, or like just just thinking, or whatever. And then suddenly there's some word, and I'm like, "That's interesting." Like what? And then, or, or a phrase, or like a little image, or something, or whatever. And I'm like, "There's like something there." Yeah. It starts to hum, and and then I gotta just try to push against it a little bit. And, and well, here's something then, and it's funny. I mentioned spliffs a, a couple sentences ago. You did. I, I didn't get stoned very much when I was teenager. Occasionally I did. And uh, I didn't really like it because I, I wasn't able to control it. Yeah, but pot was much. different than when you were a teenager. Maybe. When I was a teenager, you could like yeah. smoke pot and it's like having half a beer. Now it's like you Carlos Castaneda, like you see like your spirit animal. It's like, who needs that, you know? Like, <laughs> I read quite a bit of it, actually. <laughs> it's like too but, much. Yeah. But anyway, I remember having this conversation. And that's why I don't didn't like getting stoned. is because I had these long conversations yeah, sure. about nothing. And it yeah, was a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, that Plus conversation where you're like, maybe we're all just living inside God's fingernail, kind of like that conversation. Yes. Well, okay, but I want to bring it to, to words <laughs> because I had a whole evening on, I've got my concept of green, but maybe it's not the same as your concept of green. But that is true. But we're both using the word green. But that's true. You know. I know, you bring something up like but that. But you in your know book. that's true about. 
what you start to realize when you learn a lot of foreign languages is that those languages have completely different ways of dividing up the color spectrum. And they actually, some, some languages, they actually don't see the same colors we do. It is absolutely impossible to believe that this is true, yeah. but they don't. They don't have a word for certain color that it's like doesn't exist for them. Mm-hmm. They don't. They literally don't see those colors, yeah. or we don't see their colors. It's so. I find that so disturbing, actually. Like, like I find that very <laughs> troubling, you know. But it's true. All right. Well, maybe you were maybe you were onto something when you were smoking that. Maybe I should smoke more. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even though we're in an Oaksterdam, as they call it. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've been in San Francisco for three days now, and like it seems like every street corner I smell pot. You, it seems that way because, in fact, you do the smell it in every street corner. Yeah. Now there are dispensaries. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm not. I'm is it, not. It's not. Is it legal or they just it is don't legal. arrest you? It is legal. It is now. Okay. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I am personally. That is personally not my drug of choice. No. no. Um, I don't have been drugs of choice anymore because I'm. You know, I'm father of a, of a young child, so I'm mostly my drug of choice is mostly sleep. But I, I there are a lot of people doing a lot of self medicating, yeah, for sure. Marianne Moore, uh, imaginary garden. This is famous, of course. Mar- imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Sure. Beautifully imagined place that contains real things. Literalists treat words not as symbols of codes but for what they are. And this draws us into true strangeness. So again, we've sort of touched on that. Yeah. And yeah, it's no. about bringing a dictionary along, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, so the beginning of the book, a lot of it is um, the first like several chapters is trying to clear out some bullshit about how people talk about poetry. And one of the biggest you know, things that I ran into when I was talking to a lot of people in the introduction, I say, oh, I wrote this book because I was wandering around, like, after I had published my first couple of books, giving readings and stuff, and traveling a lot, and I'd constantly be bumping into people who would ask me questions about poetry. I mean, I was just today, so I'm going to be on this show in a couple couple days, this big, this NPR show called 1A, um, and it's, and, and the producer of the show called me, because she, you know, they do, like, a pre-talk for, they want to talk to you first to make sure you're not, like, insane or whatever, you're not an idiot. And so, and she was basically like, I don't, she said the same thing to me that, like, I've heard five million times from people, which is like, I don't get poetry, I don't understand. I can, and she was really cool. She was really smart. She was super into art. She yeah. was great. But Most she just doesn't, there. you know, and so we had the same conversation. She seriously asked that question? No, she was just like, she was just like being honest. She was just like, I don't really get it. Right. She's like, I don't really get it. And like, I've, I've had that conversation a million times with very smart, interesting, really cool people. Yeah. And so I just thought... You so know, your so answer is... Take first things first. Yeah. First things first, you got to read it literally. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds so stupid to say it, but it, honestly, it's like, I, it's like people skip over that part. But mm-hmm. once you read it literally and kind of really get into the material and all that conversation that we just had about language and words and all that stuff, once you, once you start doing that, you all kinds of wonders open up and associations and private associations, personal things, you know, yeah, that are great to talk about. You know, it's cool. It's fine to say like, oh, that poem reminded me of this experience I had or it makes me think of this or my own personal thing, history thing opened up. That's great. That's what art's supposed to do. But you need, you're never going to get there if you don't spend 
put some time in with the with the with the actual choices that the poet has made. Well, you in fact get a bit uh, emotional, or not emotional, but uh, chippy. Chippy, yeah. You say they teach poetry as a problem, not a joy, and that's disgraceful. No, I'm quoting. Um, that's a quote from the Makar, I think, of of that that woman in Scotland, right? Isn't that Liz Lockhead? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was so I was I was complaining about this idea about poetry as a code. Okay. I was sort of like uh, I was sort of grousing about this idea that um, they teach poetry as a code, and I was reading around about this, and um, uh, and I was saying, I I, I was like hoping that I was going to find some examples beyond just my own personal experience. And so then I, I, I happened to come across in some article, and I'll just read this little passage. It says, um, and I'm talking about how um, so many of us have been taught to read poetry as if its words mean something other than what they actually say. That's, that's my experience as a teacher. Is people think that you read a poem and they're like, it doesn't mean what it actually says. It's like some outcome. Yeah, you have and to figure I, it out. You have to be smart to be able to figure it out. Right. Or, yeah. or, just, or just the poet didn't mean what she or he said, which is crazy. Yeah. Poets really do mean what they say. And then it's, and I said, uh, it seems this attitude about poetry and poetic language is widespread. I recently read a quote from the Makar. That's what I said, the Makar. An enviable Scottish term for poet laureate of Glasgow the evocatively named Liz Lockhead, who said, the way poetry is taught at the moment is absolutely appalling. They teach poetry as a problem rather than a joy, and that's disgraceful. It's clear that even teachers think poetry is a code. I've been asked by a boy who emailed me once, when you wrote that poem about the bull, what did you really want to say? His education had allowed him to get the misapprehension that a poem is a code trying to get a message across and it was so good to come across some other yes. person saying yeah. that yeah. so there wasn't just me hectoring everyone about this idea it was yeah. like this other person who I'd never met who comes from a completely different poetic culture you know had that same experience which was my suspicion you know a lot yeah. of most poets poets you know and since the book has come out a lot of poets have been have said to me, yeah, that is a drag, you know, the way everybody thinks that. I'm like, you know, because you start to feel like a little bit of a crazy person. You're like, you, you, you get up there and you say <laughs> things yourself, yeah. and people look at you and they're like, well, what did you really mean by that? It's like, I'm not, I meant what I said. I meant exactly what I said. I didn't mean some other thing. If I wanted to say some other thing, I would have said it. I know lots of words. Well, you know what? I think that's a yeah. prob- That's a, that's one of the key problems of all of this sort of deconstructionism and, and postmodernism. They seem to know what the author intent is, and it's not what's on the page. Yeah, well, deconstruction. Yeah, yeah I spent a lot of time with literary theory. When I was I'm not. I'm school, not just so. blanket. You know, I think it can be fascinating, but they don't stick to the text. Yeah. Well, actually, I would say the deconstructionists stick stick very close to the text. They do a lot of. That's if his new criticism then. No, deconstruction, and new criticism are completely different things. Okay, well, but, that, but, but I mean, I mean, but the but the like new criticism sticks to the text. Yeah, it's, deconstruction is fascinated by the actual words that people are using. They're just like almost like fetishize the words themselves and what kind of ways you can like flip them around and split them. I mean, there. I think it's sometimes the problem with deconstructionist criticism is that it can become almost. There's a point at which you can be like you can say almost anything about, you know, a text. 
Well, that's like, what know, that was. But, but I know, but by going into the word, like you could be like, yes, I okay. So when we're agreeing, but I'm just saying, like, like, like my experience with reading deconstructionist criticism is that it fetishizes the language almost. It's like it does. It's so focused on the materiality of it that it doesn't. It forgets that it actually means things. You know, but but like, but whatever. I mean, we're generalizing now. Okay, we're we're sort of closing into the the last chapter of our right. our work of. Our, this is my work of poetry, by the way. My interviewing you is my work of poetry. And what's that? What do you mean? Like your own encounter with it? Or? Um, no, 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 no. I'm, you, you use connection as a, as a key attribute of poetry. This is my way of connecting with you and with right. anyone who's listening. And I think that's so cool. Like, I think that's such a cool thing about podcasts I've done some of them and I just love the intimacy of them. It's like you have a person who's like going around or like maybe they're having people come to their place or whatever and like it's this conversation and it's such a cool form. It doesn't really exist. I mean, I mean, there have been interviews, like interviews that existed, but this sort of live conversation that is... It's more immediate even than a written interview, you know? And I just think it's yeah. such a... I love that that's your work. I think it's great. I like listening to all your interviews. I mean, it's it's great because, like, I've listened to a bunch of them and, like, I find myself, like, immensely disagreeing with lots of things people say. And, like, you know, I listened to the one by Jason Gurriel and, like, I was, like, disagreeing with, like, every single thing he said. And, like... And, but not in a bad... I mean, he was just super smart like interesting guy but I was like and then the one you did with that other guy the critic who's like uh, who the, the other Canadian critic Zach Wells yeah that was great everything he said I disagreed with but it was like but it was but but I also thought he was immensely charming and like really great both of them you know it was really yeah. and so I, I appreciated it you know really like liked it and uh, and I just thought oh this is such a cool project you're doing you're bouncing around talking to all these people like what do you you know what well, kind of just what a the, great uh, I think that the nice thing is this, it's not commercial and it's long form. Yeah. It's like the long form essay. But it's not that we have to, I have to keep interrupting you for an advertisement. It's like we can have a decent conversation and what see will what we will advertise for too? Like what, what if we were going to advertise? <laughs> like right. what if we for? Aside from your book. What product are we selling? I mean, it's like, you know, like negative kit. Oh yeah. Well, we could, wait a minute. I, we could advertise. We well. No, I always, I thought, yeah. I, I had a joke once about, um, that would be a great, like, uh, um, perfume. Negative capability, like <laughs> that, like, but it would be like, uh, you know, negative. What does cap- it smell like? I was like exactly. negative capability for men. You know, like, a, like, like a kind of like, you know, yeah, it'd be helpful. Yeah. It'd be helpful in relationships. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then we could think of two that smells that are the opposite, right? And right. incorporated in the same. Oh my god! Hopefully, there'd be good smells. I, I had that. I had a great one of my most fun things I, d- I did was, um, I had this. I was asked to be a participant in this anthology that was going to be all about perfumes, and they they said, "Can we send you a little vial?" And you just open it up, and then and so I was like, "Of course you can." And so they sent me this perfume. I guess it was a perfume. I don't know if it was a cologne or perfume, whatever it was. Some kind of scent. And then so I opened it up. This little vial they sent me, and I opened it up, and it smelled amazing. And, uh, and then I wrote this poem, and and I just it was so great. And the smell, and it was actually it was a beautiful perfume. It was by this diptyque, diptyque, which is this kind of 
I guess they're here actually in Palo Alto, whatever. But mm. why are we even talking about this? I'm not really sure. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm actually not listening right now. <laughs> okay. Good. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Let's let's get back into it. Let's get back into your notebook. Come on. Okay. We're ready. We're winding it down here. Just, All right. Just we got to wind it down. Listeners are uh, you know hoping it's our four answer. listeners. That's right. The action. The action of the mind uh, captured on the page. Writer and reader involved in it. Real time movement of thinking down the page. Tracing the movement of thought. Now that's we kind of touched on that. That's what a poem does. But I didn't think a poem was supposed to be sort of rational or tracing any kind of thought. Well, I mean, rational and tracing. I mean, I don't rational and tracing thought are not the same thing. I mean, no, well, true enough. And thought is not necessarily thought. rational. I mean, it's often it's often, it's often not. I mean, most often not. If you're following the movement of thinking. Don't you want some sort of association or connection or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. There needs to be some feeling that there's a reason or right. motivation or usefulness of the movement. But I wouldn't say that rationality or logic or, or what we understand as like kind of logic in the most obvious sense, that might not be the priority when it comes to poetry. But some... You, you know, I mean, a lot of, like a lot of the time what I talk about with, with, with people who I'm close to about poetry is... A key word that we use is necessity, you know, and it's like, does the movement of the poem feel necessary, you know, and like, and like necessary, I think can can be associated for me with almost like a moral or like humanistic imperative, human connection or like human human life or commitment to being connected to other human beings or something, you know, like that kind of logic is what I, what I understand is, you know, and that's like the logic of, you know, uh, Oto Nightingale. You know, that's that's the logic of it. It's like I'm dying. I hear this bird. I'm I'm in pain. Like what? How am I going to think my way through this pain? Like that's what he's doing in that poem. And there's huge leaps in that poem. Immense leaps. Huge contradictions, which are totally authentic yeah. to that experience that he's having. It's not. But you're going to be like, oh, you know, is it sad or is it happy? You know, when you can't like reduce it to some kind of Thing, but but it's it's immensely necessary. His speech in that poem. It's, it's true. It's completely true. It's 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 undeniably true. But in such a um, almost you know unparaphrasable way. It's not, I mean, it just is what yeah. it is. Yeah, that's the thing you say is that if it's a good poem, you can't you can't say what it's about, right? <laughs> uh, which I, I I bridled against a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm being a little bit kind of, I'm sort of pushing against that word about. Um, you can say many, many things about a poem, but to say what it's about feels to me a little bit like reducing it to being a single thing, and that seems to lead towards banality. I mean, what's, what's you tell me, what's, what's Ode to a Nightingale about? It's about dying in a bird. Okay. But like, what does that tell us yeah. about that poem? I'm not saying it wrong, but I'm just, it's like, or even like, going back to that other, that critic, is Poulin, was his name? Is yeah, it? Tom Paulin. Paulin. But Two Autumn is about this massacre. It's like, what does that tell us about the poem? Let's stipulate he's right. But what does that tell us about the poem? Is that the, you know, to use a Keatsian phrase, you know, Keats has this great phrase. He says, um, death is life's high mead, M-E-E-D. Death is life's high mean, meaning it's like death is life's high like usefulness. 
is that the high mead of, of, of To Autumn, that it's about this massacre, or is it about something, like, much more, much bigger than that? About being a human being and full of sorrow, gathering swallows, Twitter in the skies is the end of that poem, you know? So... I'm an art. That's why I would argue with him. I mean, I can't really argue with him because I've read his thing. But yeah. I'm saying, but that's what I would like. My reaction would be like, even if he's right in some kind of proximate way, is that really the most interesting way to think about the poem? Or yeah, or, or moving way. Moving. It's not moving. useful way to think about it. Right. But it, you know, again, I mean, I probably would love his writing about it. <laughs> I was like writing about anything about Keats, so, reading anything about Keats. So. But but you've said something about that poem, haven't you? You've just said that his reading isn't as good as your reading. But I don't know. I can't have read his things. No, so no, no, but, no, no. But I don't know. But you did say something about the poem. Well, I reacted viscerally because I have such a kind of emotional connection to that poem. So I was like immediately angry that he was he was saying that it's about yeah, something else. But, yeah. but but yeah. but I mean, but it's an anger based on like ignorance. So you know, but <laughs> we'll see. I'll go read it. I'll go read what he has to say. Um, yeah, you, you talk about the, a poem bringing you to the edge of understanding, but not quite understanding. Now, to me, that's almost frustration. For you, that's some kind of wonderful, mysterious space to be in. It's just true to me. It's like there's only so much you can understand. And I mean, the reason I try, in the, you know, in the book, to my great... So what happened is, is that... When I read the book, you know, I'm writing this book about reading poetry, and I'm, the whole time I'm sort of dreading being a pedant, you know, and being reductive about this art that I love so much, and over-explaining it, and like over, and, and, and you know, and, and, and not, you know, like what Alice, Notley, what Alice Notley said, you know, working too hard and like somehow not being true to what I really think about it. And so, so... I knew, I always knew when I was writing the book that there was going to have to be a last chapter that was going to have to be about all the things I didn't know and that I didn't understand and couldn't say about poetry. It had to be that way. And I started to write that chapter. It was a very hard chapter to write, but what I ended up writing about a lot was my father dying. Yeah. To my great surprise, I didn't think that's what I was going to write about, but because that was really my closest, closest experience of coming up against the sublime, terrifying limits of understanding. You know, I mean, my father went where I cannot go. And, you know, we all have that happen to us at some point. People go where we cannot go. They go away from us. And you know what? That makes life almost, and it's happened to me a number of times, close people and my brother and my mm. father. Oof. And it makes life kind of surreal. It's like you yeah. had a concrete, beautiful relationship, and that's poof. Yeah. It's not here anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's beyond understanding. Yeah, I remember the first year after my dad died that I kind of walked around in a dream, practically. I was only a quarter there. Yeah. You know, I was functioning. I could do everything, go to work and friends and do whatever I did but I was not fully there because I just was shocked I think just I didn't understand what had happened no. no and I don't think there is a, I don't think it is understandable and that that so to me that felt very connected with those limits of poetry you know that and, and I wanted to connect those things and so I wrote about that's why I write about Duende there and why I write about you know 
you know, the great, the greatest American poets, you know, Whitman and Dickinson and the, and there, and, you know, I do write actually about um, Auden again there, talking about Yeats, and poetry makes nothing happen. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothingness and the limits of understanding, and Stevens, you know, yeah, so, I don't know, that was a hard chapter to write, and I didn't really, wasn't sure that I pulled it off in a way, but I just, I just, actually, you're one of your country, countrymen, uh, Carmine, Starnino published that in in the Walrus, which was really well, nice. Fans. He published that chapter in the Walrus. I really appreciated like his faith in that part of the book because like I didn't know if it had come off or not. Right. No, he's he's a very interesting critic. He is. Yeah, I, I interviewed him uh, some years ago mm-hmm. about one of his books of poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's just finish with this then. Back to Steve's book. Yeah. My man Steve. Steve Almond. A nut. <laughs> he is a bit of a nut. Right. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, I'm quoting all from the same page. It's toward the end of his book. Very close to the end sure. of his book. Bad stories. Uh, bad stories. What the hell just happened to our country? He has, I'll just say before you read it, he has this little, he does these little books that he did on his own. And one he publishes called Bad Poetry which you would really like. And it's, he was trying to be a poet before he became a fiction writer, and he wrote, so he takes these poems he wrote when he was trying to read poems, and they are really bad. Right. And so he publishes these poems, and then he explains why they're bad. I mean, the book is unbelievable. You would love it. I'll have to send you a copy. And I wrote, in the, when the book is published, I have a little introduction that I wrote for it. And, and the poems are... Truly atrocious, and and it's and he is his essays about why they're bad are so funny and smart, and he's you know it's incredible, like like his writing, and it's it's really it's a really it's such a shame. Everybody should read this book, Bad Poetry. It's so good. I think you can get it on his website or whatever. But it's, you know, it's it's great. And he's a he's a prof at Harvard, is he? No, no, no. He he teaches at the Neiman Institute and a lot of other places, but he's not he's not a full time academic. Okay. He writes, yeah, but he lives, he lives in that area, but he doesn't teach it. He's not a prophet at Harvard. Okay. He teaches at the Neiman Fellowship for mm-hmm. Journalism at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, I guess then, I guess, yeah, you're right. He's a professor at Harvard. I guess we can call him that. We could, but we, oh, we want to we we get the dictionary out. Sure, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Let's give it to him. <laughs> okay. We must resist what the poet Wallace Stevens referred to as the pressure of the real, the manner in which our souls become desensitized by the grim and unending procession of accounts we call news, we mustn't succumb to a panic that robs us of our imagination, our capacity to contemplate and wonder and invent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the deadening pressure of that your Twitter feed and your Facebook feed and all this news and all this horrible stuff. Yeah, I think he's, he's on to that, you know. But that's, but we talked a lot. You know, we were sort of writing our books. Well, he wrote this book afterwards, but mine, but I mean, we were, you know, he it read an early like version it, yeah. of my book and, and yeah. we, we, we were close and so we talked a lot about it, yeah. Because you... But he had plenty of his own and he, and his thinking influenced mine as well, you know, for sure. So, so really they're sort of companion books then. I think I I'd like to think so. I mean, yeah. I think they are in a way. You yeah. know that 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 I think they are. 
No. So poetry makes us feel together and interposes itself in the middle of a day. That's what you're recommending people do then. While they're following Trump on Twitter, <laughs> turn it off, sit down, read a poem. Uh, well, you know what I like so much about poem, reading poems is that reading poems produces the, the conditions that I aspire to. People say, oh, you know, like, how do you make the time to read a poem? But, like, actually, I just decide to read a poem, and then... You're not forcing yourself to do it, obviously. I think when I feel most kind of, like, horrified by the way my consciousness is moving... Like when your I, dad died. Or just, or well, yeah. I, I think it's a little tough when my dad died. I mean, it was sort of more like... Um, I think it was hard to concentrate for yeah, me yeah. but but when but when um now now i mean when i just feel so tired and like so you know so like um just sick of everything i'm just like you know i need to read a poem and then and then and then i read the poems and i'm like they themselves create a kind of penumbra of silence around them that are themselves that I can then like be kind of like part of. And the reason I'm looking at my phone is because like, I feel like I should, we should really end with like a poem, you know, I think I mean, I mean, we've talked so much about it, but yeah. like, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe we should end with that. What do you think about that? I think that's do you, do I, do you want to read one? Yeah, I'd love you to read I think, one. I think it just feels like the right thing to do here at the end of the day here in Oakland, all right? Yeah. So this poem is... Um, is um, but th this is a kind of almost like what meditation does for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah, and I meditate too, I mean, uh, erratically and, mm -hmm. and with, lim with, with <laughs> limited effectiveness. But I definitely... But meditation is a little different because it's sort of... There's something about reading a poem that's very like you're submitting to a particular other consciousness. Yeah. And when you meditate, you're like sort of encountering your own consciousness and its and its workings, which are the meditation is more like writing a poem than reading. Yeah, a poem. maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I think of writing a poem as a little more like, um, you know, when I meditate, I try not to be exerting a lot of will. I try to be just observing. Observe but, the thoughts go by and yeah. let them go by. But but but. Yeah. Poem, writing poems, I think, is more active than that yeah, yeah. for me. But um, you know, which creates certain problems. You have to be very aware of not just replicating your own uh, most kind of like banal mm. thinking. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's the whole danger. Is like, and that's the sort of interesting thing about it. meditating. Is you're like, oh yeah, that's that thought I've had five million times. You know, here it is again. Yeah. You know, he's not interesting. Like, yeah. you know, that that's good. Yeah. But when you're writing, making a poem, you're like. I got to shake myself out of that yeah. a little bit and sort of have a new thought, you know. Right. I um, want to make this something that's unfamiliar. And I believe that I I believe, and I guess this would lead maybe into the poem that I'm going to read right now. But I believe that if you do that, you're going to get led to thoughts and and ideas that really will matter to other people and really will help other people live their lives, as Stephen says. Mm -hmm. you know, but that's a risk you take as a poet. You're like, if I really free myself and I start to think in these different sorts of ways, am, is that really what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to try, and I'm going to try, and I'm going to try. And maybe it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but then it happens. And the times that it happens, you keep those times. And then you assemble them, and maybe they become a book that's, that's really 
merits the attention of a reader such as yourself you know and and that's the work of being a poet it's the sort of humiliating grindy work of being a poet you just keep trying 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 and a lot of your tries aren't going to come off you know but that's okay nobody else has to know yeah i mean i'm pretty diligent about not yeah. letting other people see the bad things so and your Generally. motivation is to make my life better yeah it it, it, it it is actually, I mean, as, as maybe as like cheesy as that sounds, I think maybe not make it better, but just like help you, uh, not help, but be with, be, be with you, be together, not be so lonely, not just be and be and help us think better together. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something about that. that feels a little bit like cheeky or something, but it's like, I do feel it's my best thinking. It's the best part of me. It's the best part of me. And I'm going to give it up, you know, for everybody. And, and but then you're exposed because it's your best thinking and somebody's like, your best thinking is stupid or I'm not interested in it. That doesn't feel very good. Yeah. But, but you know, but that's okay. I mean, because if you really have done the best you can, then you're not going to be... Well, I think that the most painful thing is just people not paying any attention at all. Well, you know. I don't worry too much about that. I go out to the world and I read poems and I or meet people and I, you know, I have conversations like this one and I think, this is all that matters. Like, I don't worry about all the people who aren't reading yeah. my poems. Yes, yeah. I mean, that would be... I understand mm-hmm. that most people aren't reading my poems. They come out like an idiot. But, it's, but I, mean, I don't really worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, that's not my job to, like, worry about that. My job is to make these things and make them really good. <laughs> and, and, and not just good, but, like, worthwhile. You know, worth you your time. So let's okay. so let's we'll see if this is worth your time. So 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 this is just this is just a poem. So I'm a professor. We haven't talked. We didn't talk about all about that, which is great because I'm on sabbatical right now. But part of being a professor is you gotta like, uh, you know, you show up at the, you know, every every May, you know, for graduation, and you gotta like put the put the regalia on. You know, you put the black robes on, and then the then the hood and everything, and the, all the colors. You guys have that up in Canada, right? Yeah. And so uh, you know, it's, you're suddenly part of this kind of weird medieval. System, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I think a lot about the strangeness of that, you know, that the formality of it, you know, and like what's really going on in those graduation ceremonies. So anyway, this 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 poem is called Graduation Day. And what what collection is it from? It's a new poem. Oh, it's a new poem. Is it yeah. coming going into the next book? I yeah, I think so. Good. I'm, right now, I'm just writing a lot of poems. I don't know what's going in and what's not, but I I think it will. Graduation Day. Drawn by ceremonial obligation up from sleep, I woke and stepped into the borrowed black robes, all ghost bureaucrats trained to redirect dreaming, pretend we do not like to wear. I drove my black car to the stadium to sit on stage and be watched, watching young expectant spirits one by one with dread certainty pass before me clouded in their names then listen to no one in their speeches say you're welcome for allowing us not to tell you it's already too late to learn anything or defend whatever accidental instrument in us causes all these useless thoughts like if you walked for hours through the vast black avenues of those server farms all of us with our endless attention built You could almost feel the same peaceful disinterest as when your parents talking and smoking raise their heads for a moment to smile and tell you 
go back upstairs and read the book you love about myths that explain weather and death. Now it is almost June, and they are finally the children they always were. So more precise than anyone has ever had to be, go forget everything we told you, so you can fix what we kept destroying by calling the future. Thank you. Grim little poem. <laughs> well, you can see it in the next book. Great. 2050. And this current <laughs> book is Why Poetry. I've been speaking with Matthew Zapruder, and it's published by Echo in the United States, and by Anansi in Canada? No, Anansi published Sunbear, which was my oh, most right. recent okay. book. Yeah. So this is published by Echo. Yeah, which is a division of HarperCollins. HarperCollins. International conglomerate HarperCollins. And the paperbacks come out in June, so save your loonies and toonies. Well, thank you very much for this conversation. Everybody Thanks, Nigel. You're great. It was yeah. awesome to talk to you. It was really great. fun.